Today's episode of the Rated JG Podcast is brought to you by our sponsors at podcorn.com. I've been a podcaster for a while now, and I seem to always get asked the same question. How do I get sponsored? Or how do I get brands to come support my show? Well, your answer is podcorn.com. With Podcorn, you are able to connect with hundreds of potential sponsors, no matter how large or small your show is. There are endless opportunities to team up with great companies that you personally seek out. And the best part is you have the option to set your own going rates for sponsorships. So if you're interested in podcorn.com, click the link in my show notes below to sign up for yourself and get those sponsorships you've been looking for. That's P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. Welcome to the Rated JG Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gilly. Thank you all for tuning in. All right, guys. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Rated JG Podcast. Today, I've got another guest joining me. Uh, we are currently still in the the COVID-19 epidemic. So we are, uh, we're linking up via Squadcast on our laptops here. But um, who I have with me today has been one of my biggest supporters and a fellow podcaster. Someone you could say is kind of like a podcasting OG. He's got a couple of years in the game, that's for sure. Uh, but he is a teacher, podcaster. He served in the Navy. He is a MMA fan and a Peanuts comic strip fanatic. Mr. Brian Little, the host of the Your Favorite Blockhead podcast. How's it going, Brian? Well, you know, when the Blockhead phone rings uh, and I noticed that it's Commissioner Gilly, man, then I can't deny that phone call that, that my services have been called upon. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Glad I didn't hit, you didn't hit the deny button on me. I'm glad to have you on today. Well, it just tells me that uh, one of your uh, guys is missing in action, as in Corey Ross. Know what I'm saying? There's a quick <laughs> little plug to you out there, Corey, if you ever catch this episode. <laughs> Poor Corey. Yeah, he, he's definitely uh, feeling the effects of all this stuff going on. He's a, he's a personal trainer. So he, as you can imagine, when your place of business is shut down, he's kind of limited. So I'm sure he's going to hear that, but (laughs) shout out to you, Corey. So, um, Brian, I just kind of touched on, you're a man that wears many hats. That's for sure. If you couldn't tell from the intro, I just gave you. So if you could just take a brief moment here and tell the people a little bit, uh, about yourself as Brian Little. Well, to take the, the blockhead hat off and put back on the one for Brian Little, to I don't want to go back too far, but I will start with something I did on another podcast. I recently was on the Curiosity Channel with Paul O'Rear. That's another shameless plug. But he he started off with my journey in the Navy, and I'll give the same advice here as I did there before I start my story, is that the decisions that you make in life will definitely alter the direction that you're going because let's just say the four years I did in the Navy made up for the four months that I did absolutely nothing at Abilene Christian University. It is embarrassing to get one of those emails or in a letter in the mail that says, for lack of a better words, it's not the exact verbiage they use, but in the name of Jesus, please come back to our university when you've grown up a little bit. And so in January, I'm sitting there going, well, it's time to be a new Brian and it's time to think of a new career path. Well, I went to a uh, recruiter in Corsicana for the Navy. And I walked in and I was easily 45 pounds overweight and I was told to cut out the sodas and start running. And I did. And I started using the 
the physical requirements that they needed for the Navy, and I took the ASVAB and did uh, fairly well. And before I know it, come June, I was sitting in boot camp and um, being transformed into what the uh, the military wanted me to be. And uh, that's kind of a hard thing for somebody who you know has the intellectual side that I do is to say that you're officially government property, but I did it to myself. So I did my time at uh, Great Lakes, Illinois, and then I got uh, my station was the USS Pearl Harbor in San Diego, California. So that's where my love of history really took off, even though it's always kind of been there in the back of my mind of loving U.S. history and reading about the presidents and, you know, just being fascinated with all of it. It never really took on the appeal that it took on when I joined the Navy because our ship went to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii several times because, you know, the USS Pearl Harbor is going to be the main ship that's going to be in dock whenever they have the commemoration of December 7th, 1941. And so by being part of that ship, I got to go there several times. I got to uh, go to a luau with the Pearl Harbor survivors that were still there uh, that are able to you know, physically get out and listen to their stories, some of the best stories I ever heard. Um, and that kind of elevated it to a different level. I knew I was just an understudy in what the greatest generation did for all of us. And uh, so that ended up being my four years. I did uh, two deployments back to back. I don't want to go too much in detail. We'll just say 2007 was around South America. Uh, Saw a lot of countries there in 2008. uh, The Secretary of Defense, Defense, Mr. Gates, wanted more Marines in the backyard, meaning Kuwait. And our ship was a Marine taxi cab. In other words, it took Marines where they needed to go. I mean, it's, it's a loading dock ship, but you're able to get 800 plus Marines on board where you can get their, their tanks, you can get their Humvees, you can bring them into, uh, onto the ship through, um, means of that. And also, um, on land and on sea hovercraft. So we were able to house their equipment and take them and, uh, being on a ship versus being, uh, on shore is a huge culture shock for Marines to say the least. But uh, in in 2008, we did that. And then, you know, I decided in 2010 that I wanted to go back to school and uh, take my education seriously the second time. So I did. I went back to Lubbock Christian University right down the street from Texas Tech University. That's Texas Tech is what drives the economy and the entire culture of Lubbock anyway. But, you know, LCU is down the street from there. And I went into education because I thought, okay, I can go into that. But also there was a need for social studies teachers. There were a lot of coaches that were out there, nothing against coaches, God bless them. But you know, they're wearing so many hats on the field and out on the track and on the basketball court that they needed more teachers to be involved. And that's where from the Navy to my college career did got my degree and uh, have been teaching from 2014 to 2020 been teaching social studies ever since. That's awesome, man. So that's a, those are two definitely separate paths you know when you when you think of being confined to a ship and serving your country into telling kiddos what to do and what to remember as far as u.s history is concerned but yeah that's an admirable path either way you look at it so yeah i mean there's some for some reason middle school teachers get referred to as saints but all i can say is somebody's <laughs> got to do it you know yeah but, I, I i think back on my time in middle school and yes y'all don't get paid enough i can tell you that much to deal with us at that age is a feat in and of itself 
I hope you heard that Texas legislator that are going to tune into this podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's not even a teacher that's saying we don't get paid enough. It's the uh, general populace itself. You know how many parents are sending letters saying that they should get a raise immediately <laughs> since mm-hmm. this outbreak has happened and everybody's become an online that's parent instructor funny. now. <laughs> so, anyway. you know, when when you were talking about transferring, I guess, kind of shifting gears into the, the teaching realm, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually have a few buddies you know, yeah, probably enough I could count on one hand, you know, four or five of them at least that have uh, served in the military in some way, shape, form or fashion, whether that be Air Force, uh, Marines, you know, Navy, you name it. And a lot of them have chosen either the education route strictly, you know, just being a teacher or like you mentioned, doing the dual as a coach and a teacher. And hearing your side of that, it kind of rings true to what they've told me in the past, how it's almost, it, it's a easy, I don't want to say easy, but a, a seamless transition because you're going from being on such a heavily regimented, you know, listening to your superiors in, in and out, no if, ands, or buts to kind of taking that same approach that you were, you were the one being given the instruction. Now you're kind of flipping it on its head and, and kind of, uh, I guess dropping that down onto the next generation here, whether that be inside of a schoolhouse as opposed to a, you know, a U.S. ship is neither here nor I, there. But I wish that Blockhead had that original idea, but whoever put that out there, that is brilliantly put. But yes, you're right. You are definitely a, a a piece of government property. But then when you do go into middle school, that's a tough environment anyway, because if you give an inch, they won't only take a mile. They'll take all of I-45 and they will walk <laughs> all over you. So there's there's a point to where you start out with, you know, the I'm the commander. But then mm-hmm. as the year goes on, as they kind of get broken into the routine, it's just a yes, you can let off the brakes there and you can really build the relationship. Because sometimes people will say you have to reach before you teach. There is some truth to that in the midst of all these kids. But if you got 28 in a room, you really don't have the time at the start of the year to completely reach each one of them right then and there. you got to lay out the law that this is my room and that I'm in charge. You're in charge of your learning. And if you don't take charge of it, then it's eventually going to come back and bite you in the rear. So there's sure. there's truth to all that. I have to agree with everything about transitioning from uh, military to coaching or even just to the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I dabbled in coaching a little bit. Don't get me wrong. It's just one of those those were long weekends and normally you're alongside of the high school anyway. So it's a lot of sometimes trivial work that you do and you sit there and wonder why am I even a part of this? But you know, everything is strength (laughs) in numbers, but yeah, I I give you that because again, I decided I didn't want to go back into coaching. I wanted to just focus on being a teacher and look where that got me. So there you are. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's take it, like take a step back here. Um, one thing that I did have written down here on my little, my little list of the the things I wanted to touch on. Cause like I mentioned, you, you wear so many hats, but I wanted to ask you if taking it back to the time you served in the Navy, it, you saw and did more than I could even imagine, you know, being uh, as many places as you have been serving our great country, every single one of the men, servicemen and women that I've been fortunate enough to cross paths with over the years seem to have at least one or two, I'm putting air quotes up, life lessons that they've taken away from their time. Is there anything you can shed light on about that, about your time served? Is there something that you just, you left there feeling like, wow, this is a, this is something I'm going to take with me forever? Well, one of them I can give just as an overall broad answer to that is that not everything is about you. And a lot of times when it comes to the mission for the military, 
you know, that is what is first and foremost, and that is priority amongst everybody, is that, you know, as, as much of a person that I want to be intellectual and I want to be like, don't anybody tell me what to do, there is always something on a broader spectrum that you may not know. It might take you a while. Sometimes you do have to ask why, but you have to ask why in a cordial manner, and I hope that's making some sense. Because there's there's ways to react and there's ways not to react, and uh, so that that would that would be part of it is just if you've got an intellectual mindset, sometimes you gotta say that you know you may not see everything, but it's not about you. Another thing I can bring out when it comes to being in the Navy versus where we are now, I just put up a picture on my Facebook that shows the inside of a birthing at a at a, at a uh, Navy ship, and that shows you where all of the bunks are and how close they are to each other. And when I hear people saying that they are confined to these spaces and are in shelter in place as we speak, I want to go, let me walk you through being on a ship that <laughs> rocked and we had to strap ourselves in and barely had any room to walk amongst ourselves. And that's another thing is, you know, I'm a person that really does want to get away from people and sometimes to regroup. I couldn't do that on the ship. You you are going to see everybody everywhere. You see them in the mess decks. You see them on the weather decks. You see them in the gym. You see them in the ship store. You see them walking along uh, out where the bulkheads are. You also got in times when you do um, general quarters drills, you have fire drills because you are the fire department. There is something about serving there that I've come back with where I go, I can live on minimal things. And this whole epidemic has not scared me at all. And part of that's because knowing history, but knowing the skills that I picked up from the Navy. So I guess my answer is, one, there's always something that is unfortunately above you. If you are a, a person who thinks too intellectually, sometimes you have to put on that collective mindset and say there's some reason why we're in this place. And there's a way to ask why without being nasty and disrespectful to someone. So those would be the two. It's not all about you. And second of all, yes, you can live on less. That's awesome. And if those are two things that you took away from that, like this is all with everything that's going on in the world current day, those two lessons right there are enough to keep you afloat. No pun intended with the Navy thing, but I'll, I'll take know. it. I'll take the pun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, and also I wanted to take this time. I don't know if I've ever told you this on air, but a very sincere thank you for your service. That means a whole lot. Oh, it was, it was more than worth it. And you are more than welcome. I think it just comes down to now I'll give you this one as a veteran. Sometimes if we are given thank yous and we look like we draw back a little bit, that's not because we don't want the thanks. It's because we don't genuinely know how to respond to a thank sure. you as a veteran because we have done our time. We came home safe. People on my ship did not. Many sure. people come home every day with the American flag draped over their casket. So mm -hmm. to, to, to kind of share that with you, that's not to put you in your place. I don't think I did that with you on this video or in no, this recording no. session. But if somebody were to go up and thank a veteran, you'll see that we kind of might draw back a little bit and don't really know how to respond versus somebody who's in a uniform that's home on leave and you thank them and they go, you're more than welcome. A veteran will tell you that how you truly thank us is being the best you you can possibly be. Sure. Yeah, that way that you know nothing that all the sacrifices you or sacrifices that you and the ones before you have made and it's like they're not going for granted. You sacrifice you know, but, and then you lose you, you lose your face, so we'll take yeah. the sacrifice every once <laughs> sacrifice, in a while. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I, I can surely imagine how what that would be like you know I, I haven't served myself but i can see what you mean by kind of being taken back by that but yeah it's most of the people that i've ever approached with that compliment and that you're very sincere thank you they the response is always positive so i'll take that 
Right. It's it's positive. It's just kind of one of those, if you get one of those, and that's also a lesson to the general populace. You asked me about two things from the military I can take. Well, those are the two. But for a veteran, a lot of times how you thank us is, and that's another thing I tell kids, is doing what your teachers ask of you the first time, whether you agree or not, like it or not. That's what I mean by it's not always about you. So mm-hmm. that would all that ties in even there as well. There's a little bit of a segue. But that would be the big thing I tell anyone. That's how you thank a veteran is be the best you, you know how to be and continue to live your life. But also at times like this, don't be so thinking of yourself, put on that collective mindset, put on that community hat. And I can take a minute just before we go any further and just share with people that in America, people always wonder, why are we so individualistic? Well, the truth is, if you study history, our Trinity is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, if you look at Canada, That's another reason why I'm not saying run to Canada, but let me show you the trend that they have. It's peace, order and good government. If you look at the different contrast between the two, they tend to have a lot more of a community mindset at times like this, as well as China does, even though the outbreak might have started there. Where have all of the um, outbreaks and all of the tested positives, where has it subsided? It's subsided outside of the United States. And you got people here that are going, how did the outbreaks get so bad here in America? I'll tell you why. One of the reasons is because people want to ignore the mandates and the ordinances that are passed out for your betterment, for the sake of the public good. If you're going, this isn't going to affect my spring break and I'm going to go out and enjoy myself. I'm telling you, that's part of the problem. Right. For sure. It's kind of like people take their... uh the word freedom a little too literal sometimes. And it's almost more of a defiance sort of a thing. Yes. As in, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a, I'm not going to take orders from anybody, even though it's a handed down from the highest order here. But uh, you mentioned earlier, it's a perfect little segue here. So um, switching from the Navy mindset into your current profession, which is a U.S. history teacher, how and when did you realize like, this is, this is the path I want to do. I know you said you mentioned you wanted to go back to school in 2010. Is that right? Yeah, in 2010, that's when it happened. I mean, like I said, there's always been an interest in history that I've always had. It's just not, it's just one of those, was I going to be able to implement that into a career? And it kind of hit me when I got to LCU and they were saying at Lubbock Christian University, and they were saying, well, there's a demand for social studies right now. And I go, oh yeah, that's true. And I started being amongst the history professors over there and seeing the different styles that they had, that's Mm -hmm. part of it. But again, I can trace it back further than that. Uh, I can remember back when I was in fifth grade, and I still remember that one of the choir performances we did, my quote was Patrick Henry. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I had a lot of pride in sharing that and saying that. And also, anybody that wants to learn about history I'm telling you, if you go back and watch the old Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes cartoons, you can find references to history through all of them. I'm not even kidding. There's some that are related to the war. They might mention the rationing, uh, the meat rationing when, uh, during that time. They might have been talking about there's one where Elmer Fudd is out looking for gold. That's the 1849 gold rush. There are so many references to history. They even had one where Porky didn't understand why he has to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and Uncle Sam gives him a little lesson in history. So I guess it's always been there, but it finally was given a chance for a career. Okay, God, you know what you're doing. And it has worked out ever since, and I just had to kind of succumb to that. I mean, like that, that's, it seems to me like that's something that you genuinely enjoy doing. It's not necessarily the, uh, the path that a lot of people fall into as fall, you know, just collecting a paycheck. It seems like you put a lot of passion into that, which is great. 
Yeah, and a lot of that's building up my bookshelf as well. It's just I I kind of wanted to dive in more, and a lot of it took not just being part of those classes, but spending time in the library too. Howard Zinn once said, "There's nothing like a library," and a lot of what I really have learned has come from my own study. And like I've told people before, Gordon Wood once said it best: "History is to a society what memory is to an individual." When you don't have that, you are missing a serious tool in your toolbox. Apparently, I'm missing the uh, the quotes out of my toolbox too, because you're dropping quotes on me left and right over here. So, and again, part of that is just my my uh, my personality. But I guess if it helps y'all, this is something that I do. One of my favorite movies of all time will always be Goodwill Hunting. And there's a part where he actually uh, puts that guy from Harvard in his place because he's making fun of Ben Affleck. He steps up and said, yeah, that's that's funny. I read the same book and the guy was talking about this. Next week, you're going to quote this guy. I swear to you, he says in there, that's going to be until next week you're regurgitating Gordon Wood, the guy I just quoted, talking about mm-hmm. the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital form and effects of military mobilization. And he just schools him on all that. I know who a lot <laughs> of these authors are. And I'm like, uh, Gordon Wood never said that. <laughs> not any of the books that I've got. That sounds more like a Marxist historian to me. (laughs) Made for a good movie though, right? (laughs) No, made for an excellent movie. It'll always be one of my favorites. Absolutely. For sure. So the the whole teacher career path, whether it be, you know, coach, science, history, social studies, whatever you're doing, all of you are going to be in the same boat right now with the whole COVID-19 epidemic that's going on. So um, we've kind of touched on that a little bit. I'm not necessarily talking about the, the virus or the disease itself, but how is this affecting your day-to-day life? Because you obviously are not going to be granted access into a schoolhouse. So I'm assuming you're going to be doing things a lot uh, remotely or, you know, kind of like what we're doing here, you know, a Skype session or whatever that may be. Um, what's your day-to-day routine looking like now as an educator? A lot of time on the laptop, a lot of emails, a lot of prayers, a lot of trial by error. But at the same time, I actually felt a little more equipped for this because we are using Zoom at our district, and Zoom is a product that I knew of through podcasting. So in a way, being a podcaster actually prepared me better for what we are doing now. I'm not so much behind the eight ball as you know, and I don't want to throw in my colleagues under the bus because I'm really not. It's just everybody has their certain styles and how they teach. And some are like, well, I want to do some technology, but I want to kind of ease my way. You don't have that option anymore. So these people, in, in, in my case, I'm kind of dabbling my feet into the kiddie pool. And a lot of my colleagues have been thrown into the deep end of the ocean when it comes sure. to using technology and video and having these conversations with kids. And also, don't discredit what kids can do, man. When it comes to technology, they are light years ahead of all of us. That was going to be my next point is I almost feel as if there's kind of like a paradigm shift here because you were the educator yourself. But in order to articulate the message of trying to educate your kids on whatever it may be, you have to use this electronic medium, which I'm sure that your classmates are probably a little more well-versed in than the actual teacher themselves. (laughs) They can be. Overall, they, they adapt to it fast. But I will tell you, they still have to have that guide because nobody is coming here that joins in on a conversation and you say to the kids, all right, guys, teach yourselves. What do you mean teach ourselves? Sure, there, still sure. has to be the, there still has to be the person who is confident in their content. And in my case, it's just you got technology. You're welcome to give me some input. If I'm doing something wrong, please tell me. But as far as we're going to go now, let's get into 
the stock market crash in 1929. You know, they, they don't know anything about right. that, but that's literally sure. what we're getting into as we speak. So, wow. I mean, isn't it crazy how history repeats itself, right? Oh man. Not just from the great <laughs> depression, but man, from the 1987 black Monday, not to mention the 2008, 2009 recession that took place amongst the time that president Nixon and Agnew resigned, the stock market dropped in value exactly as it did in 1929, not to mention nine 11 where bricks were falling down on wall street, literally. And, you yeah. know, then when the market <laughs> opened, it dives again, but it recovers completely in 56 days. So if somebody gets into the stock market, I'll say it now, ride the roller coaster until the end. Yep, that's for sure. I feel like that's that's a good uh, analogy for the stock market as is. You know, it is kind of a roller coaster at all times, but mm-hmm. that's it. It is. It's it's a little bit fascinating and also kind of somewhat uh, kind of what's scary if you sit back and look at the similarities of over time. You know, it's 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 nuts. But, yeah, it comes down to if you jump off, you get hurt. It, everybody's going <laughs> to find sure. out if you do it dabble. If you dabble in the stock market, you'll find mm-hmm. out who you are. Are you an aggressive? Are you aggressive, moderate? Are you really conservative? And there's plenty of uh, things out there that will serve you best. But what you don't do is you don't jump out when everybody is scared and freaking out. It's that whole idea of you got to be smart. You got to be cool when you're walking on Wall Street. (laughs) I bring that to fruition. (laughs) All right. Well, okay. So switching gears here, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that we have that that Brian here wears a lot of different hats, you know, teacher, podcaster, Navy uh, veteran, MMA fanatic and peanuts fanatic. So I wanted to kind of touch on the latter here. Sure. So MMA for all of my listeners that should very well know what this is by now, mixed martial arts, you know, the combat sport that is known probably to the mainstream as UFC, but there's also Bellator and one and all those different uh, organizations that are uh, under the same blanket as a sport as a whole. So, you know, you've got MMA. These guys are in your own words, warriors in the octagon and essentially going in there and trying to rip each other's heads off on a day to day basis. So that's one of your hobbies. And then on the complete opposite end of that, you have this loving, touching piece of Americana that is the Peanuts comic strip. So Snoopy, Charlie Brown, all of that. What are the origin stories of these two completely polar opposite hobbies of yours? Starting with MMA. Okay, starting with MMA, I think I can trace it all back to when I found out that Santa Claus doesn't exist and I find out that the WWE is scripted and I actually feel (laughs) insulted by it, that I think that's part of what it was. I'm like, what else am I going to watch? I can't watch, you know, gladiator uh, all the time. And, you know, are you not entertained? But I mean, it's one of those, I'm, I didn't, I didn't realize that being a WWE fan and then going, this thing is, there's nothing, I'm I'm not going to discredit anybody that likes the WWE. Don't get me wrong. But I did feel like my intelligence was insulted at early as eight years old going, these guys aren't really hurting each other. <laughs> I guess there's part because there's always a part of us as men that do want to have some type of hand to hand combat interest. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's there. If you're into boxing, you're into boxing. But that wasn't enough to keep my interest because those guys are staying out there forever, barely moving around. And they have and also you can get into the brutality of it. If you, you keep letting these guys get back up after a 10 count, there was it just wasn't enough to hold my attention in boxing. And I felt like my intelligence was insulted in WWE. And I can't be the only one that feels this way. Because in MMA, not too long ago, Colby Covington walked out to Kurt Angle's theme, and this entire arena is screaming, you suck. 
you suck. I'm like, the only way you can know that is if you ever followed wrestling from back in the day. So I mm-hmm. think I'm not the only one that goes, well, finally, I've got something where even though these guys are determining who is the better combatant, they are actually protected by the referee because once they call it off, it's over. You've got doctors at ringside, but you also are, have that hold of, it is all over. And there, there's still that rush of adrenaline that we get or the disappointment of, oh, my guy lost. You got to be kidding me. That is kind of contained in this sport now that has combined everything from boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, grappling, NCAA-style wrestling, jujitsu, and all the other ones combined. We finally get to see and who is the top guy. And even though it started back with the original UFC in 1993, you know, there was in ancient Greece, the, the Pancration that we can date it back to as well. But all I mean by that is that UFC was very looked down upon in the early nineties. And finally, when it started to kind of clean up his act is about the time that I got into the Navy and I, and I got on board when I saw the rivalry with Matt Hughes and Hoist Gracie. That's where it all started for me. And I'm going, how did I miss all this stuff? Well, because it was so demeaned and you couldn't find it on the current day channels out there if you were searching for it. It wasn't like UFC was available. You had to get it either on pay-per-view or get the DVDs. And certainly Mama didn't want that kind of stuff in the house. So I I think that's part of it. When they cleaned up their act, when they started getting into the time period of the even the ultimate fighter that started giving a different mindset to people who won the MMA as well. So I think that's where it really started. I was a huge He-Man and Masters of the Universe fan too. So I wanted something like that. I didn't want people killing each other. I did like the idea of good guy versus bad guy from wrestling and it all culminated into the sport that I follow now that is mixed martial arts. And you're right, under the umbrella of it, it's not just the UFC. It's Bellator, it's one championship, it's Ryzen Federation, Pride when it got bought out. Yeah, there's Legacy Fighting Alliance and other sectors that are out there. Sure. Yeah, and I, I like you touched on earlier, um, I do think that it is almost like a primal thing you know like at our core yes you're gonna you're gonna do what you have to do to survive and whenever you're you know in a steel octagon with an, a man across from you that's the exact you know stature as you you're essentially fighting you know quote to the death until the you know the ref says otherwise like i mean because you got to think these guys are going to keep choking and keep fighting until they're stopped so um it's not that savage obviously but that is that is something that draws me to it is the fact of it is like in the literal sense, may the best man win. If you watch the movie warrior, you're going to have like, you're going to see what kind of a man you are. If you watch warrior, because I mean, if I, every time I watch that, I think I add some extra hairs to my chest and those (laughs) muscles bulge out as I expand all the way out. So that's maybe part of it too, but it's one of those, this is something I've been itching for, for so long. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that the, the, the fights that, or the rivalry that got you interested into, you know, mixed martial arts was the Matt Hughes and Hoist Gracie, because I came in probably two years after that. My, it's well documented on my show. Uh, my Genesis story of mixed martial arts was I was probably 13, maybe 12, 12 or 13 at the time. And it was at the absolute peak of George St. Pierre and BJ Penn. Yes. So I mean like that is if if I can tell any of my listeners if you're looking to get into MMA, 
that time period the 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 early to mid 2000s was when it was insane and I'm absolutely sure that had, i'm sure that had a little bit to do with usada having very lenient testing and stuff back then and yeah, whatnot, that too, but, but, you know. but we, we we got to see a lot of monsters in that octagon for exactly. sure exactly the zufa and days were a very special time for yes. sure and uh, 1993 was a special time too because uh, that's when I was born. Yeah, and there, there you go. There's your tie-in. There's and, three dates in history y'all need to know. Rated JG Nation. You need to know three dates. You need to know 1066, which was the Battle of Hastings. That was the Norman invasion that started the feudal system with all the kings and the lords and vassals. You need to know 1215, where self-government was handed on the sword to the edge to King John. And you need to know 1993, the year of UFC and the year of the Ray of JG came into existence. You know those three dates, you know what you need to know for history. There you go. And one more just for fun. That's whenever the Minnesota North Stars came down to Dallas and became the Dallas Stars too. So <laughs> just And there's your Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle right there. All those reckless it. worlds are collided and there you have it. I love it. So that was a that was an awesome little origin story, kind of taking me back on your MMA, I guess your path, you, you know, where you, where you got that spark. So sure. on the other end of the spectrum, your the the Peanuts comic strip that is that's your logo for your podcast. I see you wearing the shirt right now, the the Charlie Brown Peanuts strip as a whole. Kind of when you think of Brian Little, that name is synonymous with Peanuts comics. So how, when, where did all of this begin for you? Again, that one even goes back further than my interest in uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe or even the WWF at the time or the WCW. It goes even further back than that. Like I said, you know, the cat had to come out of the bag. You mean this isn't real? <laughs> you know, that, that all had to be explained to me at some point. But early back in my life, yes, I was at some point. I don't think my parents even forced this on me, but I remember being at a family Christmas um, and we were – my cousin and I were watching TV, and I was pointing at the screen going, look, it's Snoopy. I kid you not. I was, and, and girls watch that and go, that's the cutest thing in the world. And you know, I look at my cousin, and I know the episode we were watching was Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, because I remember the argument, the talk between Marcy and Peppermint Patty. But my cousin's watching. I looked over at him. He's five years old. I'm nearly three. And I say the most obvious thing in the world to him. We're watching Charlie Brown, and he turned at me and looked at me like, "No <laughs> kidding, block." And it, I, I get, I guess it had already had been there. I already had an interest in it, but you know, as I grew up, I was always getting those on TV. If they were on ABC or CBS, we were we were recording them on VHS. Like if it was, it wasn't just the Christmas episodes or the Great Pumpkin or the holiday one. There were other ones that were coming on too. Like I would record Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. There was one that has Snoopy's brother Spike from the desert that's called It's the Girl in the Red Truck, Charlie Brown. Horrible acting, mind you, but it was a real-life <laughs> animation with his daughter Jill, and it was Spike that was in the episode, and I had that on VHS until eventually, you know, the, the tape inside of those VHS is eventually going to... And that's mm -hmm. lost to you forever. So that, that was part of it, too. It's just I kept catching them, and I kept watching them, and I, something resonated with me about that because I can tell you, you know, Charles Schultz has proven time and time again that his favorite character 
was Snoopy, and Snoopy is the most renowned character of all of them. You may know nothing about Peanuts, but you know who Snoopy is. He's the most interchangeable character that he ever had. He could be on a doghouse one day. He can be a World War flying ace the next. He could be the masked Marvel one day. He could be Joe Cool. He can do anything that is needed, and Charlie Brown is the guy that just lives in second place that just never can kick the ball. But if you want <laughs> proof here, I promise you I'm not taking this back. I share it on every podcast. No, Charlie Brown kicked the ball four times. And the only way you'll know that is if you watch the episode, it's magic, Charlie Brown. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. The man, the man knows his peanuts. That's for sure. Um, There you go. So, on those two, those those two main things that kind of culminate the the your favorite blockhead. You know, you have other things. Obviously, your faith walk is very prevalent in in your your episodes you you have a scripture of the day you hold your faith near and dear to your heart that's very admirable but on the the mma and peanuts topics here Mm -hmm. do you happen to have off the top of your head do you happen to have a favorite mma fight doesn't have to be ufc just a favorite fight that you could just hit the replay button on over and over and over again that was just got you gripped from the beginning Currently, as far back as my favorite fight of all time, will always be Matt Hughes versus Frank Trigg too, and oh, that one is only one. yeah, that one's only what a minute and a half anyway. And there's that's even Dana White's favorite fight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, as far as the ones that I will always appreciate the most, I will always appreciate Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner for the series finale, The Ultimate Fighter. I will always appreciate that one. As far as most recently. I would have to give it to one of two of them right now. I would have to probably give the fight between Yair Rodriguez and Korean Zombie would have to be up there for the last second knockout at the end of round five. You're never going to find another one like that Mm -hmm. ever. But I'll tell you, as far as the newest one, Joanna versus Zhang. I'm sorry, but that one's going down in the addles of time as one of the greatest fights to ever take place in the octagon. I couldn't agree more. And I even went on my own podcast and we, we kind of gave a little breakdown about that, the whole UFC card. But I am not too proud to say that some of the times when it, when the, the lighter weight classes and the, the women's fights happen, I might stray off, go to the restroom, get a drink, something like that. They don't really necessarily have me as glued to the TV as the bigger guys do, just because due to the nature of the size, it typically goes to a decision. And it's kind yeah. of a lackluster one, especially in recent history, because the Ronda Rousey's of the world are very few and far between. You True. know, I'm, Amanda Nunes and Shevchenko and, uh, right. you know, they, they, they're, they're the anomalies. But um, right. that even goes for the that even goes for the lighter men's divisions as well. It's just they seem to be they what they lack in in power. They make, make up for in volume. So it's just a lot a lot of touches throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and I think another reason why I kind of appreciate that is I'm actually somebody who has dabbled in coaching wrestling too. And there's something mm-hmm. that you have when you put on the the uh, lenses of being a wrestling coach. Something Certainly. people don't talk about a whole lot is that some of the most fun wrestling matches to watch are the guys who are the lightest. The flyweights mm-hmm. are a lot of fun to watch in wrestling, and that's kind of the same thing in football. Let's think about defensive team right now. Most people want to talk about the linebackers, but they don't talk enough about the corners. The corners Mm -hmm. are probably the third most, according to John Madden himself, 
are probably the third most important player out there on the field, and they don't get enough credit because those are some of the most quick, most responsive players that are out there, and they have mm-hmm. some of the best cardio. So when you watch yep. the other guys who are flyweights, they're normally the first ones to go out and have their match because of the weight brackets. By the time mm-hmm. you get to the heavyweights, everybody's done. They're all watching the big boys, and that's only when the mm-hmm. parents are the most loud too. They're proud, yep. loud, and proud parents for those heavyweight boys. So it's nothing mm-hmm. against them. It's just sure. the ones who tend to go on first, just like in a preliminary fight, they have more to prove. They have a lot more blood on the line, yep. but you don't have as many eyes on the product because they didn't come to watch the prelims. They came to watch John Jones versus Daniel Cormier or something like right, that. Right, right. But yeah, that Joanna and you know Zhang fight, it did go to a decision. But I yes. think that I, I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, Stylebender and Kelvin Gastelum was a great decision as oh, well. Oh, beautifully. Too. But, but, but yes. they, those two, I don't know if the only, the only word that comes to mind to describe that fight is just heart and like grit. They, mm-hmm. they look, they were battered, beaten, and bruised. I've never seen a human being leave the octagon in worse shape than Joanna did. I mean, the hematoma exactly. on her head you know, completely changed the shape of her entire head, and she didn't stop throwing kicks, elbows, punches, takedown attempts, takedown defense. I mean, she was going, and then, it, which speaks numbers to you know Zhang, who was throwing all those attacks. It was just nonstop, start to yes. finish. I, I was out of my seat the whole time. There was grit, there was power, there was accuracy, there was a, a time period of longevity in the pocket that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. and people who have not seen this fight need to go back and watch it. You're doing a disservice to yourself if you have not seen Joanna versus Zhang, and you can turn it off when it gets to Izzy and Yoel Romero. We'll, we'll <laughs> leave, it, leave it there. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not going to miss much, that's for sure. You're missing you, nothing. Right, and you, you mentioned you know wrestling, so I don't know if this is something that we've talked about before. We have MMA talks all the time, not on the air, but Sure. If if you have a breakdown of the men's weight classes from, you know, lightest to heaviest, it is heavily favored into the wrestling. You know, you've got Cejudo, yes. wrestler. You've got, um, you know, Usman, wrestler. wrestler. You've got Khabib, wrestler. You've got Stipe, mm-hmm. who's a wrestler that's known for his knockout power, yeah, but essentially exactly. wrestler. Uh, who, mm-hmm. who, the guy who held the belt before him. DC mm-hmm. wrestler. wrestler. <laughs> and then you've got, then you've got, you know, Volkanovsky and uh Stylebender and John Jones, who are the strikers. But for the, the vast majority of the top tiered athletes in their respective divisions, you've got wrestlers, Matt because- Hughes, wrestler, Randy Couture, mm-hmm. wrestler, you know, you can go back to yeah. the pioneers and just see where that has always been part of Chael Sonnen wrestler. And who's the guy sure. that took him, took Anderson Silva all the way until that, final triangle choke at the end yep. so you know. I know, isn't it it's just crazy when you think about it because if if you were to happen to you know god forbid you end up getting in a fight on the street you know every fight starts standing up for sure that's what Stylebender always says who's the mm-hmm. most probably the most prevalent striker we're ever going to see but if and when it goes to the ground it is a completely different ball game that's yeah and there's not that, a whole and at that point I'm sorry to keep cutting you off but I just say no, there's not a, there's there's not a whole lot of wrestling that really does happen in the MMA fight it's takedowns it's mm-hmm. once you get them to the ground you have officially ground and pound or submission attempts that are going on but to have that ability to either shoot for a single leg or a double leg is an mm-hmm. underestimated tool in these fighters toolboxes that you and I can obviously agree on definitely and it's if if you don't even use this skill set as often as 
you would think, you know, if, it, okay, a wrestler's coming into the ring, if they don't immediately, you know, shoot for a double leg or a single leg, just knowing that they've got that bullet in the chamber changes the opponent's mindset when they're approaching this fight camp. So exactly. And it's, it's just fascinating to me to think that one of the oldest martial arts, which is wrestling is one of still the most prominent and most dominant ones across all weight classes. Mm-hmm. If you look back to the Old Testament, uh, Jacob actually wrestled with God all night long until he crippled his hip, and you know he said, "I'll not let you go until you bless me." Sorry to take it off there, but yeah, you can de- <laughs> you can take wrestling all the way back to the beginning of time, and that's where we wonder, you know, where did pancreation begin and end when it comes to ancient Greece? It's always a, a interesting question. I'm still trying to answer as a historian to this day. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, we've got, you know, we've ran through the gambit as far as the MMA is concerned and, you know, your favorite fights. Do you have a favorite fighter uh, that might not even be affiliated with any certain division, just, or excuse me, name, UFC, Bellator, you get the program, whatever it's called. But um, do you have a favorite fighter that sticks out to you? That's easy as far as my favorite fighter to this day. But if I was to do it, just to give uh, the other organizations their due diligence organizations there's the word (laughs) yeah i will i will start with bellator mma because my favorite fighter at bellator hands down is iron michael chandler period that is my guy i love the way he thinks i love his his family stories i love his adopted son i have you know really adapted to who he is as a warrior, but also as a man of God and a guy who, if you are worried about what's going on with people like John Jones, you might want to start following Michael Chandler's Instagram. Interesting guy who will actually do lives with you while he is on the, uh, the, um, incline while he's doing the epileptical and the elliptical. I'm getting, I'm getting my words wrong. Imagine that with a guru like you from the gym, but he's actually (laughs) on there getting his workout and he will take people on and just talk anything they want to discuss and he's wearing like uh, this this uh, army vest that's got fifty pounds on him in front of him. Oh wow! And he's, and he's still carrying on a conversation with you. This guy will take medicine balls this big and slam them down, catch them, and do backflips. To and then that's part of his workout. His workouts are insane. That's so uh, I would have to give it to Michael Chandler easily in Bellator MMA. As far as the UFC goes. The personality I will always love and the person who has inspired my podcasting the most will always go to Chael Sonnen. If you don't listen to your welcome with Chael Sonnen, you're missing a very interesting podcast. There's plenty of other ones you've talked about that are good, but there's something about that. That is just my flavor, you know, of, of ice cream when it comes to podcasting is sure. uh, Chael's show. Um, but as far as a current day fighter from, from the beginning, I've always been a huge Randy Couture fan and a huge Matt Hughes fan. I would have to give those two out there, but as far as one, I can't cut out of it. I, I have to put GSP up there. He's kind of like the George Washington of MMA in so many ways. This, I'm not saying that he's perfect, but come on now. This is a guy who was gone for four years, came back and won uh, by unanimous decision, then st- then didn't hold the division hostage because of his colitis. Uh, but this guy is just beyond amazing story. So I got to give GSP up there, Randy, Matt. I have to give those guys um, some due diligence. As far as newest fire that's out there that's really my favorite, it's hard to decide between Israel Adesanya and Justin Gaethje. I'm really having a hard time between those two. Those are ones I follow very closely. Um, as far as one championship, I mean, come on now, Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that, that guy is changing the game in, in that organization. At Legacy Fighting Alliance, there is a female uh, fighter from Waco that people should start paying attention to. Been trying to get her on the podcast, but she's a busy la- lady as of late. Her name is Haley Cowan. 
All hail Haley Cowan of Legacy Fighting Alliance is an amazing athlete and uh, definitely go check her out when y'all get the chance. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, that kind of goes to show you there just off the top of your head, there's four different organizations right there. It's a, it's an ever growing sport and this ESPN deal with the biggest one, you know, UFC is going to do nothing but put some of these guys in more and more households and make their names become more and more recognized. So yeah. And, and I'll throw it out there just to say, if you want a, one of my least favorites, cause you asked me about my favorites, but just to mm-hmm. have some fun, I'm, I, I could say what I want about John Jones, but I think uh, history speaks for itself. But as mm-hmm. far as somebody who I've never liked and will never appreciate, there's two of them. One of them is Colby Covington that I just mm-hmm. talked about. I, he rubs me the wrong way in every way, shape, or form. He takes his gimmick too far. He he ripped off the Kurt Angle song, but that's why I thought, man, that's a lot of people who know about wrestling if they're quoting the You Suck <laughs> chant. But the second one that I have to give, and it, it might cause some controversy, but I don't care. I've never been a fan of Tito Ortiz. Well, I don't think you're going to get much controversy there because he's kind of known as one of the original bad boys. And I think that it's kind of people sure. that are people that are MMA fans were kind of divided up into two camps as yeah. far back as you can think. You were either in Camp Tito or Camp Chuck Liddell. So, I yeah, mean, I, have to, I would have to agree with that one. It's just one of those. It's more, it doesn't even come down to the rivalry between that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that he was the flagship for that time period, but the guy is a dumb dumb. He can't even string two sentences together. And <laughs> so that's that's part of it. It's just he he he's an intellectual leech on the side of my mm-hmm. head and I just can't uh, shake him. I totally I totally understand some people just aren't your cup of tea, but I yes. think that I I think I've got you uh turned on to one of my one of my very up and coming favorite ones and Mr. Mr. Darren Till. I think that I got you on that train a couple months ago. Definitely like him. Yes. Yeah. He, he, what he does outside of the octagon is a whole different story, but I'm telling you that if, if we could see potentially one day there until matching up with Israel Adesanya, that is going to be a stand up bout for the ages. And I don't think till is there yet, you know, no. coming from a very, very heavily involved fan of his. I think that he is still needs a little bit of marinating and, you know, kind of some more reps, but this dude is going to be, Izzy's going nowhere and Till's not going anywhere either. So I think that is a, something just, you heard it here first on March the 27th, 2020. This is going to be a big fight. I think that is a beautiful matchup and I will concur that. And the blockhead nation will get on board on that one pretty quick. Yes, <laughs> I love it. All right. So that, that was actually a two part question that we ended up going way off the rails on. So, um, <laughs> do you, do you have a favorite, uh, comic strip uh or excuse me a favorite peanut comic strip one or or a movie or, or a tv special whatever they're i'm not i'm honestly not as well versed as you are in all of this but honestly the one that is most sentimental to me will always be the final one that he did in 2000 because if you know the story by the time he submitted his very last um uh, uh, peanuts comic strip where he wrote to the fans uh, it starts with Charlie Brown saying on the phone, no, I think he's writing. And then you see Snoopy on the famous typewriter saying, dear friends, and he leaves this beautiful uh, departing words that he is retiring from the strip. And then not long after that, he passes away. Um, that one will be always a very sentimental one to me. And I've always speculated if he had lived on, what kind of comic strip would, would Charles Schultz have made if he saw the towers fall? I've always wondered if he was alive for September 11th, 2001, um, what kind of comic strip he would have made because he made an incredible one for D-Day. 
So that's another one that really matters to me is the D-Day comic strip. I can't give you the date exactly when he made it, mm-hmm. but it always comes out uh, every year for uh, the commemoration of D-Day. And uh, as soon wow. as I can put that up for the Blockhead Nation, I'll make sure y'all get to see that. Um, so that's a, those two are very uh, important to me. As far as my favorite one that I always laugh about, it's the one that's it, it's the comic strip that actually a lot of times the comic strips will be included in the TV series and a lot of the episodes. They'll he'll just take the comic strip and put it into those TV shows. For instance, my favorite comic strip has to be the very beginning, the intro of A Boy Named Charlie Brown. I think that was made in 1967, but the comic strip goes back further. It's where you have Charlie Brown, Linus, and Lucy all sitting on a hillside, and they're looking up, and they're cloud-watching. And it's a question that Lucy, as she says, if you use your imagination, you can see lots of things in the formations. What do you see, Linus? And Linus, being the intellectual, says, well, those clouds up there look like the British Honduras on the Caribbean. That cloud up there looks to me like a painting by Thomas Inkins. And those clouds give me the impression of the Stony of Stephen. I can see the Apostle Paul standing off to one side. And then Lucy goes, that's good. What do you think, Charlie Brown? (laughs) Charlie Brown goes, well, I was going to say I saw a ducky and a horsey, but I just changed my mind. (laughs) That will always be my other favorite one right there. That's awesome that you have one that you go back to, especially one that is, uh, like you said, one was so sentimental with the the previous one you mentioned, and then leading into this one. It kind of just goes to show you that one person can tug on the emotions in a lot of different ways. So Charles Schultz seems like he's the he was a definitely one of a kind. Mm -hmm. All right, man. So the the last thing I wanted to touch on with you is obviously what we're doing right now podcasting you have been doing this for quite some time uh correct me if i'm wrong here i think it's four years now yes four years okay Mm -hmm. so four years that is um kind of whenever this a little bit before it started taking off i'd say it took off about two or three years ago with the the emergence of what is the juggernaut known as joe rogan and uh you know all the things that go along with him and all how many people he's inspired and how many of his friends have prominent podcasts now but what what inspired you to do this? What just made you say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to sit down with a microphone in front of me and record my voice and let the world hear it. Well, another side hobby that I always had but I never really shared with anybody was back when they used to have the audio cassettes that would have the tape record on the, on the other side you can record your own story. I never really shared those with anybody. I just kind of kept them for years and years again until the tape broke, just like when a VHS tape breaks, there's not a whole lot you can do at that point. So a lot of memories were lost on side two of the audio cassettes. And then when I got into college, I started getting one of those handheld mini micro micro recorders that had the small tape in it. And that was intended to record my professors, but none of those were were my professor. Every time I'd pick it up, I'd leave my own thoughts or I would tell my own stories and just listen back to it. I got very comfortable with my voice very early in life. I'm not saying I have the best podcasting voice, but I did really get comfortable in my own skin when it comes to audio recordings. And so that kind of equipped me well for when this time took off. And then I started listening to a couple of podcasts, but what won me over, I've said it before, was uh, You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. But it was a particular episode where I said, I want to have something like this. And it wasn't a huge name fighter. You'll know who he is, but most people that are casual MMA fighters won't know who this guy is. It was episode 83 where he interviewed Nate The Rock Quarry. 
from Team Quest. And I thought those two were like the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of the podcasting world. They complement each other so well. And I would hear how Chael would talk about a sponsor and he would mention promo codes. Or he would say, go to this website slash Chael to get your 20% off purchase. And I started going, oh my gosh, that's the kind of promoting and pitching that I want to do for a sponsor. Because I, I was always wondering, how do you do that? Because I always hear things that are pre-recorded and go, uh, I'm, I'm sure there is a big package you have to purchase for something like that. But mm-hmm. when I started hearing him do it on his own and use his own talents, I went, man. And then I heard those two interview and how well they correlated. I went, I want something like this, even though I fly solo often, so does Chael, unless he has a guest that comes on. And it mm-hmm. just has seemed to, it brought it all together beautifully with my love of peanuts, my understanding of U.S. history, and my knowledge of MMA that I've kept up with over the years. Because a lot of people that listen to my show aren't MMA fans. Some are, sure. but they're, sure. or they're very novice. And I kind of take care of that for them. I help them mm-hmm. out with current up-to-date events so they don't have to. I follow Bloody Elbow. I follow Low Kick MMA. I follow The Athletic. I follow MMA Junkie. I listen to all of the interviews. I watch as many fights as I can. Or if I can't mm-hmm. catch the fight, I look at the highlight reels. I keep sure, up with them sure. in real time. And I really try to give an in-depth analysis that even the common man could understand so far it seems like i'm doing a decent job because people stick around yeah definitely (laughs) hey i i completely share that with you because it's a you know my my show is a lot less uh, i don't want to say structured isn't the correct term for it but i don't you you have your you have your you know mma peanuts u.s history and your faith walk and like i mean you don't really deviate from those very much um i've just i've been fortunate enough that i just kind of shoot by my hip all the time and i think that maybe that maybe that authenticity and that just, you know, kind of off the cuff is what made my fan base to what it is now. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool that we have two opposite ends of the spectrum here. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not completely flying off the the rails and talking about gardening or something. Exactly. (laughs) But but I think that works. Again, you just said it. The key words that you have that are making your show grow so well are authenticity and consistency. And the Mm -hmm. listeners are starting to know what to expect with you. So even though you have a guest, that's the same thing with me is that I really try to cater to the guest and roll out the red carpet as best as I can. Mm-hmm. But if I'm sure. on my own, then yeah, I try not to deviate or I share something that it matters to me and, or maybe something that's been recommended by a listener. Right. But yeah, so there is some um, formalities to it that I follow. But again, sometimes I do fly off the cuff. But again, you're, you're finding a formula that's working for you because once again, there's only one rated JG and there's only one YFB. So you got to do what go. works for you in the podcasting world because we're all pioneers and we're all laying the groundwork as we as we speak because we're going to be in this for the long haul while everybody else dwindles off about 10 episodes and pod fades and is going, sure. well, I, I wanted to get into this for the money. I'm like, well, you got to build your brand and your audience first and the monetization right. will follow afterwards. Yeah, of course. And that, you know, I, I, you and I have both been very fortunate to have, you know, as many sponsors as we have. This was, I think the minute that I start, I've, I've mentioned it many times on the show that the minute I start looking at this as a job, that's whenever I'm going to fall out of love with it because I never, that was never and never will be my intention. If it happens, of course, I'm all for it. But as of now, I'm just in this, this is a, a stress relieving outlet. This is something that I, 
just have enjoyed doing something I have always wanted to do, not necessarily podcasting, but, you know, be a radio DJ, be a host, be a something along those lines. This is just an awesome little outlet that uh, I'm fortunate enough to have crossed paths with people like you who have been, yes. you know, incredibly supportive. And um, like the the concert that I put on last weekend, I say I, I did not, I do not play any instruments. I well, You hit record for the world to see, so let's go Yeah, so yeah, I, I have, you know, three of my buddies that are incredibly talented musicians that I got to, you know, use my platform oh, yeah. to spread their name, and then you were generous enough to, you know, help them out, and they got to be in front of, a you know, literally thousands of eyeballs. That's, it's kind of crazy that a hobby like this that has turned into what it is. It's, it's just, it's very humbling and very, uh, it's, it's just a, a good feeling. Yeah, it has to stay your side passion. I have to agree with mm-hmm. that. And I can I can do one little small plug before I, you get to your next part, only because mm-hmm. those that have been listening to the Ray of JG is that when you fly solo, you're great. When you have your guests on, you're great. But there's also one that I listen to when you and Miss Casey are always having <laughs> your discussions. I mean, I honestly can say I love it. But when, when, when I hope that I never end up on the hit list from Miss Casey. That's a scary thought. Mm-hmm. But what it will come down to is this. When I think of Miss Casey and you being on your show, I think two things. I think that you you are gentle with her like a flower, but you're also gentle with her like a bomb because you have to be gentle <laughs> with both because she yeah. is a very sweet and accommodating flower. But at the same – because that's also a compliment, a compliment to her. Wonderful lady, very lovely lady, but also – we don't see the other side of that. If you drop that bomb, dude, because I can just imagine that if you cross the line with her, that that fire that shoots out of her eye mm-hmm. sockets and burns that hole in your mm-hmm. stomach, I can just imagine the aftermath with Miss Casey. On oh, I'm telling you, man, it, it's very well documented. She does have, uh, like you, you nailed it. She's like a, a ticking time bomb that if you, you know, have it next to you, the ticking sounds nice and it's lovely and it lulls you to sleep. But if the minute that it goes off, there's a a lot of collateral damage around that's for sure well, yeah, i mean you had to go to marriage counseling over uh, pizza rolls and bagel bites people if your marriage it becomes so divided that you get i digress uh, hey uh, you know what we've just come to we on that argument right there we just agreed to disagree we 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 have no discrimination for any kind of pizza flavored product in the gilly household so but you'd have to go the, back in the archives to catch what we're talking about people that, there's your yeah, homework for there sure yeah so my yeah casey is she is a a doll but she, that that is that, that girl's my best friend and she's a handful that is for sure she's wonderful definitely uh back to the podcasting do, the one thing that i wanted to ask you about uh you know other than what inspired you to do it is do you have any goals do you have any not even necessarily monetary goals but just what does something like a checklist for you that you've been kind of eyeballing for the yfb nation i think honestly in so many ways that the checklist is close to the end except for like the thing is i don't think i'm going to get out of education anytime soon and this whole change that we've gone through is showing that i miss my kids and i miss them terribly at the end of the day no matter how much you might annoy me or might push me to my my limit <laughs> as it says in the bible love is patient but also that it gets tested a lot but man doing these conversations with the kids just reminds me and it tugs at my heart and just says i truly do miss my kids and and i'm not enjoying the time away from them. I really don't. There's a difference between a break and something like this that we have. We all need our breaks in between there, but I don't think I'm ever truly going to get out of education. But the thing that I could see happening at this point is let's say when the podcast blows up, let's just say that we've stuck it out a long time. You and I, the OGs in the podcasting world, 
are still doing this when others dwindle off and we end up in the top uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and everybody knows who we are and sponsors are throwing stuff at us. I guess the, the main thing is something that one of my guests said. I think I want to keep my humbleness, but also maybe go into some kind of consulting for podcasters, just where we meet up, and whether it's online and I walk them through on what they need to know. I think that might be something I might consider as a secondary career path, not just enjoying doing my content, but how, how sure. to walk them through, how to get a host read, how to do uh, how to get your sponsors to come on. How do you build up your audience? There might be something like that that comes in the future, but I think one of the best feelings in the world could be if I am told, hey, Joe Rogan wants to have you on your show. Hey, Jordan Arbinger wants to talk to you. Dr. Phil says he's got a spot for you. Who are you going to choose? And I'm going to go, you know what? I don't need them. There is a friend known as Rated JG that I'm going to go sit and have an interview with him. Or my buddy Zach Sanders is coming down to Dallas for a venue, and I'm going to go stand in the audience and just promote him. And, you know, just to keep it on that level, because my buddy Erskine Anavatarte said that that'd be the best feeling in the world to know that people like Mercy Me or Toby Mac are knocking at his door and they're all going, We want a piece of your time. He goes, No, I got a podcast to go do with the Blockhead. I will see you guys later. So I guess maybe wow. that's one of those where I can actually say no to people and go, I don't need y'all, you know, and, and, yeah. and I don't want, I, I guess that's part of keeping the, the hat of humbleness as we sure. go through this process together. That's awesome. That's a very good, uh, a very good end goal to have for sure. Or if not, nonetheless, uh, you know, on the checklist for sure. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that brings me, we're, we're right around the one hour mark. So that we boggles are, my mind, dude, how we've gone this long. It's crazy. I, once you get lost in conversation, time just flies. But there is uh, a recurring segment that you know very well uh, that it ends each one of my podcasts with that I have a guest on. So for those of you listening that don't know, I have a recurring segment that I call if I could pick three to have a beer with me. And what I do is I ask all of my guests this question to kind of peel back the layers and get to know them a little bit better. And the question is if you could have three people at any point in time in history, they could be alive, they could be passed away, they could be real, they could be fictional. If you could have three people, I know you're not a beer drinker, so root beer at your table with you, who would be sitting at the table with you and why, Brian? Because real men drink the hard stuff. Conor McGregor's Proper 12 ain't got nothing on an aged vanilla A&W root beer. I'm there glad you that go. you mentioned that. And honestly, that's one I'm going to say for a second. Before we get to number two, there will always be my papa, my grandfather, because even though I served in the Navy and I served as an understudy on the USS Pearl Harbor, my grandfather served in the Second Great War. And I didn't know a whole lot about what he experienced because he just didn't want to talk about it. And he didn't have to talk about it. He just thanked his uh, the good Lord every night that he did not meet his demise and was able to come home. But I started finding out uh, throughout my life that this man not only was very gentle, but he was also one heck of a sharpshooter over in New Guinea. I'm going to leave it there at that because I don't want to go into too much detail on what I've learned at this point. Let's just say it kind of goes back to the whole idea of why I am the way I am, that I'm a gentle warrior, that I would love peanuts and MMA. You know, meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. But I think that might go back to how much I have adored my grandfather, and I still miss him to this day. And I'm holding in my hand that you can see um, JG a penny diamond and this thing isn't even worth five cents but this is what i remember being in his house ever since i was easily four or five years old it was always on the on the table it was on the counter somewhere in the house 
And it was always part of, I knew I was going to see grandpa. I knew that the penny diamond was there. And when they passed, my parents made sure that this one was given to me to keep in my room. And I've kept it ever since for the last, I want to say easily 20 years since he's passed. So one of them would definitely have a root beer with my beloved grandfather, Robert Brian Drennan. Uh, that would be one of them. The second one would obviously be this gentleman back here in the numero uno blockhead, Mr. Charles Schultz himself. If you start looking at the comic strips and you look at the old TV shows, it's not hard to figure out what Snoopy and the other Peanuts game are drinking. They are drinking root beer. If you watch the Happy New Year episode, there's a whole part where Snoopy sniffs in Lucy's root beer and she goes off on him. You sniffed in my root beer. It's hilarious. That's actually my favorite episode of all time is Happy New Year, Charlie Brown. So one would be my grandfather. Second one would be Charles Schultz for sure. And the third one, you would think it'd be an MMA fighter, but it's not. I would choose to sit down and have a root beer with President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And it would not have anything to do with his death in Dallas. That is a ghost trail that we will never truly know the answer to. History tells us Oswald did it alone, but my gut will always tell me he had help along the way. But nonetheless, as far as Kennedy, the reason I want to sit down with him is because I'm very fascinated in the Cold War. And he actually almost helped America see the brink of non-survival. What I'm talking about is the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, how he made his way through that time period of being face-to-face over the water with um, Khrushchev, and both of them are playing nuclear chicken with each other on who's going to swerve, who's going to swerve, and at the last second, Khrushchev swerves, and the world breathes a sigh of relief. And for him to be a Cold War warrior the way he was, ask him about his policies in Vietnam, what he really intended to do, sure, we'll ask the 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 um, thousand foot uh, elephant sitting on your foot. No one's talking about what did happen with you and Marilyn Monroe. I know you had mm-hmm. Addison's disease, so I'm sure you did have a lot of intercourse, but we, we can get into all of those. But to have a conversation with that man and his presidency would for fun would definitely be number three. Wow. That's a great little trio to have there. So you've got your grandfather, you got Charles Schultz and you got JFK. Yes. I would have to I I'd love to sit in and have a root beer with you guys too. That sounds like it'd be a lot of interesting conversation going on at that table for sure. I would welcome you in. It's not exactly a hard <laughs> application process to come to the blockhead round table. It's really not. I love it. Well, all right, Brian. Like I said, you know, we're over the one hour mark here, and I feel like you and I have got to know each other quite a bit over these past couple months. And sure. my whole intention with this podcast was to kind of get you to get to know you even more than I already do. And I feel like I have absolutely accomplished that. And as well as all of my listening base, they've got to get an idea of both Brian Little and the blockhead. Uh, so that being said, if, uh, I'm going to give you a little opportunity here to plug yourself. Is there anything that you wanted to let anyone, any of my listeners know about your show that we might not have covered today? So what can people expect from the blockhead nation? Well, I mean, other than an interesting ride and wearing a lot of hats, it's just one of those that's this is one area where I probably need to get better at because I'm not a person that gets on and goes, "Hey, go to my Instagram, go to my YouTube and hit the subscribe button and click the bell." I'm not a person that says that a whole lot because the truth is with all the work I've done, if you google your favorite blockhead, 
I'm going to tell you right now, the entire first page of Google is going to be everything that I've done. It's going to be my Spreaker page. It'll be my Libsyn page. It'll be my Launchpad DM, not to mention Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where podcasters do want to be. I get that. But I think what would be most helpful is if I start plugging the blog, because I've always said your favorite blockhead.com, but there's not a whole lot going on on that page. I'm sure I need to update it. But your favorite blockhead.com slash blog is where a lot of my posts are going in. And also it's the audio that's uninterrupted with no other pre-rolls and post-rolls that come with uh, having it on a Spreaker platform. So mm-hmm. you, there's no way you can miss my show if you just Google your favorite blockhead. You're going to see everything that's mine. But I'll tell them that. I'll say go to yourfavoriteblockhead.com slash blog and be looking at the links that I put up because sometimes those will have my sponsor links. It'll have the rated JG podcast for sure. Cause when I have guests, I always put their stuff up and I always make sure that I plug them as best as I know. As you saw in my last episode with nutrition and MMA fighter shorty, Jose Torres, I put everything that I could find of theirs and then some where there's no way you can't find these guys. So I think that'd be the best thing is just say, Google your favorite blockhead, go on any platform you want to listen but I will say probably go check out your favorite blockhead slash slash blog, your favorite blockhead.com slash blog. And that's going to give you all of the links that I mentioned that are in the show. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here. So, Brian, once again, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and coming on. This was long overdue and that was all totally my fault. I was a guest on your show quite a while back, but I'm finally glad that we got to link up. Um, thank you for all the continued support and helping me along this journey and answering all my annoying questions up this far. Um, so I, I very much appreciate your time. I'm glad that we got to link up and I will have every bit of that information that he just mentioned all posted in the show notes. I'll have your Instagram, your Facebook tagged as well. And uh, yeah, Brian, once again, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time. No worries, Commissioner Mahoney, as always. I had a good time with you as I hang up the Blockhead phone. We'll see you guys next week. Same Blockhead time, same Blockhead channel.